We were in uh, Jonah chapter 3, and I love Jonah chapter 3 because it, it highlights what happens when we take dangerous risks. If you remember, Pastor Charles, he taught last week, and he said, uh, when we take dangerous risks, in the end, we have greater rewards. And that was true for Jonah. Jonah takes this risk. He goes to the Ninevites. He shares this uh, message of judgment, and somehow... From the least all the way to the greatest, with the king himself, they believe in God. And you would think then, when you read Jonah chapter 4, you would think, man, Jonah and God, they are pumped up together. They did this together. They're excited that the Ninevites, they turned their lives over to God. You would think Jonah would head back home and, and just be on fire for God. That's the exact opposite of what happens. And I want to show you what happens. If you have your Bibles, turn to you or to your U version on your phone to Jonah chapter 4. Uh, grab a Bible in the back. Follow along with me. Uh, Jonah chapter 4. Right away we see that Jonah is not happy. Uh, Jonah 4 says, The change of plans greatly upset Jonah. And he became very angry. So we, so we complained to the Lord about it. Didn't I say before I left home that you would do this, Lord? This is why I ran away from Tarshish. I knew that you were merciful and a compassionate God, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. You are eager to turn back from destroying people. Just kill me now, Lord. I'd rather be dead than alive if, I, if what I predicted will not happen. And the Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry about this? Then Jonah went out to the east side of the city and made a shelter to sit under as he waited to see what would happen to the city. And the Lord God arranged for a leafy plant to grow there, and soon it spread its broad leaves over Jonah's head, shading him from the sun. This eased his discomfort, and Jonah was very grateful for the plant. But God also arranged for a worm. The next morning at dawn, the worm ate through the stem of the plant, so it withered away. And as the sun grew hot, God arranged for a scorching east wind to blow on Jonah. The sun beat down on his head until he grew faint and wished to die. Death is certainly better than living like this, he exclaimed. Then God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be so angry about a plant dying? Yes, Jonah retorted, even angry enough to die. Then the Lord said, you feel sorry about the plant, though you did nothing to put it there. It came quickly and it died quickly. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people living in spiritual darkness, not to mention all the animals. Shouldn't I feel sorry for such a great city? If I had to sum up Jonah in one word, it would be selfish. Jonah is so Selfish. When you watch from the beginning of Jonah 1 and you track him all the way to the end of Jonah 4, he is so self-absorbed. He's all about himself. Now I look at Jonah and it's easy for you and I to judge Jonah for being selfish. However, it takes one to know one, right? Whether you and I recognize it or not, our default setting is selfishness. I can promise you, 
That if you looked at all of your thoughts, and I heard uh, this past week when I was listening to podcasts, we have uh, over 6,000 thoughts a day. If we examine all of our thoughts, I bet you 98.6% of those are all about ourselves. The other 1.4% are about God and others, maybe, on a good day, right? We're selfish. We only think about ourselves. And for Jonah, you read through the whole story, he never gets over himself. But you and I have a chance to. And so for the rest of our time together, if I had to sum up what Jonah 4 is about and what the antidote of selfishness is, it's our bottom line for this message. It's we need to give to others what God has given to us. Jonah does not learn this. You can read the whole book and you're like, he never does this. And maybe you're sitting here today and you're like, man, I really struggle with this as well. I like what God gives to me, but I don't like to always give that to others. My question to you is why? And if you could do something about that, if you could break this selfishness inside of you, would you? If you want to, just like I want to, then we have to do some heart work. And we have to look at Jonah just for a little while to understand why does he get to the point where he can't show people what God has shown him. So first I want to look at what you notice all throughout Jonah chapter 4 is Jonah's just angry. He's just mad. Jonah was angry, first of all, because what he planned, or what, at least what he thought God had planned, and then he uh, fulfilled that plan, it didn't turn out that way. Uh, just like we read, he said the change of plans greatly upset Jonah, and he became very angry, to the point where he says, just kill me now, Lord. I'd rather be dead than alive if what I predicted will not happen. When God selects Jonah in the beginning, God says, I want you to go preach judgment to the Ninevites. What's interesting is that God doesn't tell him the outcome of that. Jonah, he's pumped. He's like, I get to go to the people I don't like, and I get to preach judgment, man. They are going to get what they deserve. And then he goes and does that, and right when he speaks this message, the people in Nineveh are like, wait a minute here. We've been in this prison for so long, we didn't know we were living like this. We want to turn our whole city around. And so they repented. They turned to God. And when you repent and you turn to God, God honors that. He loves a repentant heart. And he shows them mercy. And Jonah can't stand it. Why? Why is he so angry? One of our favorite toys in our house is a jack-in-the-box. All of my kids have loved this toy, and my daughters especially, who are currently three and two, they love when we get the jack-in-the-box out. And so we get it out, and we start to do it, and they're like, they're already giggling. They can't wait. And, and you know, they're kind of anxious because they don't know when the thing's gonna pop up, and I just, I do this, and I, and I stop, and they're like, oh, oh, okay. But they still not happening yet. Still not happening, and they're just like, is this ever going to happen? Keep doing it, and keep doing it, and they're looking with anticipation. They're like, come on, Dad, when's it coming out? Oh, there it is! And they jump, and they scream all the time. It's so funny. And then we put it back in the box, and then we do it again and again and again, because they just love it. The music, they don't know what's going to happen, because they love when this little animal pops out of the box. It's their favorite part. 
But with us, we don't like that when it comes to God. For Jonah and for us, we would rather God stay in the box. In fact, when he comes out of the box, instead of getting excited about that, we get really angry about it. Like, God, here's what I had planned. Here's what I had planned for my life. Here's what I had planned for my uh, spouse. Here's what I had planned for my kids. Here's what I had planned for my job. And then when you jump out of the box like that, it doesn't make me excited. It makes me angry. You see, God can't be contained in a box. And oftentimes, we do. If you want to know if your God is in a box... Do you get angry when things change? Do you get angry when your plan doesn't go your way? Do you get angry when God blesses somebody that doesn't deserve it, even though you think you deserve it? My question to you this morning is Jonah was angry because he wanted to control God. And he figured out pretty quickly he can't. For you, do you control God? Or do you allow God to be in control? I'm going to ask that question again. It's very important to recognize the answer to that question in your life. Because your life will go in two different directions as a result. Do you control God? Do you put him in a box and just pray he doesn't come out? Or do you just smash the box and allow God to be in control? Because when you allow God to be in control, you won't be angry with the outcome. But when you do, oh man. You and God and the people around you, they pay for it. And for Jonah, he was so angry that what he had planned didn't go his way. But it's so much deeper than that. The reason also that Jonah is angry is because he's angry with the character of God. Last night, Paul and I, we were uh, sitting at our little counter and all of our kids were down the basement and they were playing well. And usually... When they're playing well together, it ends up in a fight. And there are sometimes when we're sitting around and Paul and I will take bets. Who will be the first kid to cry? And I won't tell you which one, Micah, our five-year-old, will cry first. If he was here, I wouldn't say that because he'd be very angry that I talked about him. But he's usually the one. And sure enough, we're enjoying some dinner together. We were talking about some things. And all of a sudden, you start to hear the beginning of a fight. And then Hudson, my seven-year-old, and Micah, they're yelling at each other. And then all of a sudden you hear them pounding up the basement stairs. And they're saying nasty things to each other. And then I go to the top of the basement and I look down and there's Hudson and Micah. And I didn't say a word. I gave them the dad look. And they knew. They stopped and they looked at me. And I just stared back at them. And all of a sudden, they each became little lawyers. They started to defend themselves and then give evidence of why the other person should be in trouble. And I'm sitting there and I look to my oldest, Hudson. I get to take Hudson to school every day. It's a really great time. And, but the mornings with Hudson sometimes are not fun. He's either not motivated at all or he's overly motivated. And there are consequences oftentimes because of his choices. And one time, uh, we like to sometimes watch my phone in the car. We like to either watch, like, sports highlights or things like that, and we talk about it. And I told Hudson, right before we got in the car, he did something wrong, and I said, you are not getting the phone. And he was angry. He started crying. 
Then we got in the car and we're driving and we didn't say much to each other. And I just said, hey, Hudson, I'm going to give you the phone. And he goes, why? So that's grace. Getting something you don't deserve. Ooh, Hudson likes grace. <laughs> he always asks for grace now. When I say no, he'll literally say, Dad, grace. And I said, well, okay, not every time. But just trying to teach him what that is. And so last night, here we are. They're playing little lawyers. I finally said, enough. And I look at Hudson. I said, Hudson, do you want grace? And he said, yes. And I go, Hudson, does Micah deserve grace? And he goes, no. And I leaned back and I looked at my wife and I said, I'm going to share this story in Norwalk tomorrow. <laughs> because Hudson recognized I like it when daddy shows me grace. But if my enemy at the time gets grace, oh, I don't like that. And that's exactly what happens here with Jonah. Jonah has a problem with the character of God. And the funny thing is, he knows the character of God very, very intimately. In fact, he almost gets sarcastic with God. He's like, didn't I say before I left home that you would do this, Lord? He knew that God could respond this way. And then he says this, that's why I ran away from Tarshish. And then you would think he would be like, because you're such a jerk. You're so mean. You don't care. And yet he says, I knew it. I knew that you're merciful and compassionate, God, slow to get angry, filled with unfailing love. You are eager to turn your back from destroying people. You would think Jonah would be like, yes, thank you, God, but he is so angry. Now, it's interesting, he never gets angry when God rescues him when he's about to die. We'll see in a few moments, he doesn't get angry when God takes care of a need that he wants. He, he likes that part of God. In fact, he knows that God is this way and will always be this way to his people. In Exodus 34, 6-7, uh, it says, The Lord passed in front of Moses, calling out Yahweh the Lord. And this phrase is found nine times in the Old Testament. It's like a chant or a mantra to the Israelites. The God of compassion and mercy. I'm slow to anger and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. I lavish unfailing love to a thousand generations. I forgive in iniquity and rebellion and sin. Jonah knows this is what's going to happen. He loves it for himself, but he doesn't like it for other people. Do you? You like it when God's kind to you, when he blesses you, when he loves you, when he forgives you. What about people that you don't like? People of another nationality? People of a different country? People that don't believe the same thing as you? People that live a different lifestyle than you? People who don't come to church? People who just do horrible things and yet it seems like God blesses them? Do you ever get mad at God for that? Oh, I do. I like my God to be in a box. <laughs> But when God pops out and he does what I don't like him to do, man, it's so easy to have a problem with his character. And whether you recognize it or not, oftentimes we do. We get angry with God, not because he doesn't bless us, but because he blesses other people. And it would have been just great if Jonah and even us, we just simply celebrated God for being God, let's put that on the screen. Celebrating God for being God. Wouldn't it be great if Jonah just said, I knew you are going to do this, God, and that's why I went to Nineveh, because I thought there was a chance that you would bless my enemies, and you did, praise God, hallelujah. But he doesn't. 
He reminds me of the story in Matthew 18, the parable of the unforgiving debtor. I'll read a portion of this to you. Uh, He says, Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with servants who had borrowed money from him. And then it says that this servant who he chooses that he wants to repay, he owes millions to this guy. And this guy knows there is no way he can pay it. In fact, he knows that if he had to pay it, he would be in debt more to the king. They'd have to sell everything. His family would even suffer because of this. And he begs and he pleads. And somehow this king forgives the debt. All the things that he owed him, he just says, you know what? Go in peace. Now, you would think this dude would be on a mission to show God's kindness. You would think like Jonah. Jonah, God saved your life by allowing you to be swallowed by a fish. Of all the people, you should be going out and telling people about that God. But Jonah doesn't, and either does this wicked servant. Because when the man left the king, he went to a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars. Remember, he was forgiven millions. This guy, he only it was pennies compared to what he owed. And he grabbed him by the throat and demanded an instant payment. This guy is forgiven a lifetime of worth. He is so grateful. Then he goes out to a a servant and he grabs him by the throat and says, give me what I deserve. And he doesn't relent. And the king finds out about this and he's like, wait a minute here. He's like, you evil servant. I forgave you that tremendous Debt, because you pleaded with me, shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? He's like, look, I showed you kindness. I changed your life. Shouldn't you go out and do the same thing? And wouldn't it be nice if we had that same response? Wouldn't it be nice to know, man, what Jesus has done for me? I want every person to experience that, whether I like them or not, because I understand how it doesn't just change my life, but it changes my eternity. But we don't do that. In fact, Jonah is so selfish and so against that idea that God asks him an interesting question. He's like, is it right for you to be angry about this? When's one of the last times that you got really angry? Now, people express anger differently. Some of us uh, were either fighters. Man, when you're angry, you know it. And so does your neighborhood. So do people across the ocean. I mean, everybody knows it. You yell. You put it on social media. You text everybody. Everyone knows you're angry. Other people, they're, they're flighters. They, they just kind of run away from conflict. Sometimes we just stuff it and stuff it and stuff it. But you know it's like shaking up a bottle of soda that has never been opened. You shake and shake and shake and shake it. Eventually, someone's going to open it, and it is going to explode all over the place. All of us, we either get a little angry or really angry and expresses itself differently. I'm not talking about the expression. I'm talking about when's the last time in your heart you just were furious about something. Whether it's your spouse, whether it's your kids, 
whether at a coworker, whether at someone that looks differently from you or acts differently from you, when's the last time you were angry like that? When's the last time you sat down and you traced that anger? That you followed it? And why you were angry? I can promise you, if you do that, you bypass God, you bypass other people, and you figure out that it all has to do with your heart. 99.9% of the times when we're angry at someone else or we're angry at God, it has nothing to do with them and all to do with us. And for Jonah, it's not God. It's not the Ninevites. It's him. And God knows it. And God is trying to be as kind as he can to him. So he tries to teach him a lesson of compassion. And as we continue on in chapter 4, we see this interesting illustration of what this should look like. There's this plant and there's this worm in Jonah 4, 6 through 8. And Jonah, he is angry at God. He leaves because he just goes off in a huff. He sits down and he wants shade. And somehow God shows him that shade. He feels great about it. In fact, we see this uh, sorry, let me go one more thing. He then appoints a worm, and this is what happens when the worm ends up eating through this plant that he loved. He said, then God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry because the plant died? And Jonah's like, yes, he retorted, even angry enough to die. So he loved the shade, a.k.a. he loved God's mercy. He loved when God blessed him. He was hot. He was tired. God gave him something to protect him from the sun. He loved that, but he did not like, he did not like the worm. He was angry about that. In fact, we see in the next two verses, the Lord said, you feel sorry about this plant, though you did nothing to put it there. It came quickly, and it died quickly. But this is where it gets really heavy. The Nineveh? has more than 120,000 people living in spiritual darkness, not to mention all the animals. Jonah isn't mad at the plant dying. He's mad that the plant's not protecting him anymore. He's mad that he does not have shelter from the sun anymore. He's mad because who he is and what he's lived his life for is getting rocked. Because God is trying to shake him of what we see in him, which is his pride. He is so prideful. The definition of pride is literally being self-absorbed. You know what's interesting? Did you notice every time that something rocks Jonah's boat, he responds in anger? When his pride or his selfishness or his self-absorption is threatened, he reacts and responds, whether that's at God or whether that's at other people. Tim Keller says it best, those who live self-absorbed lives live miserable lives. The more selfish you are, you think the more happy you would be. But in reality, the more selfish you are, the more miserable that you are. And God is trying to do whatever it takes, whether it's a storm or a fish or a plant, to wake him up from his pride and his self absorption. Because pride destroys compassion. 
I promise you, when you live a prideful life, what you're really doing is you're just looking at yourself the whole time. And when you live your life like this and you are curved inward and you're always looking at yourself, you will never see the needs of somebody else. There are some of us in this room who we don't have time to show kindness or love or help other people because we're so consumed with ourselves. And the definition of compassion isn't pity. It's actually stepping in their shoes and helping them physically, helping them spiritually, helping them emotionally, helping them relationally, helping them monetarily, whatever it is, you're actually doing something about their situation. And some of us don't have that capacity, not because we can't, it's because we won't. And we won't because we're too self-obsessed. We're too curved inwards. We're too self-absorbed. The only thing that produces compassion, the only thing that would help Jonah understand that these Ninevites are just like him. They just live their lives differently. Isn't that funny? Have you ever judged somebody? You look down on somebody? Do you know you and I are one decision away from being that person? I mean, we are the same person. It just, our junk looks differently. And the only way to really see that, because we like to say, oh, well, I'm here, and then those who are drug addicts are here. Those who are in prison are here. Until we can see each other like this, we'll never break our pride. The only thing that breaks pride is humility. C.S. Lewis says humility is not thinking less of yourself, but it's thinking of yourself Less. Imagine if Jonah would have gone into Nineveh and instead of being consumed with what God may or may not do, if he allowed God out of the box and wanted God to do for them what he's done for him, not only would it change the Ninevites' life, it had changed his. God says something. He says, shouldn't I, shouldn't I feel sorry for them? I mean, I'm glad you have all of these things. I'm grateful for that, but... These people, 120,000 people, they don't know me. They're living in darkness. Shouldn't they have a chance? Shouldn't the people in your life have a chance to know God and see him and experience him? How does that come about? God just going to shout it down from the heavens? No. It comes through people who are not self-absorbed, but selfless who let God out of the box and want to see God bless them through you. It's time that we start being more selfless and allow God to work on our selfish hearts because if not, we'll keep living self-absorbed lives. So I want to just end our time together with a couple of questions. Based upon our bottom line, what we need to give to others what God has given to us. The question is, what has God given us? If you know Jesus, one of the greatest things he's given us is grace and mercy. Sometimes I get those confused, and so I want to illustrate it with an illustration. It kind of is a little corny, but it helps me. It's, every time I think about it, I understand what mercy and grace is. I want you to imagine that you're driving and you get pulled over by a police officer. Not that anyone would ever do that, 
I know we have some police officers uh, at our church. We abide by the speed limit. And if we aren't, we have good reason that we aren't, right? This time, you get pulled over. You're going 50 and a 35. You know you can't sweet talk your way out of that. And you get pulled over, and the police officer comes up to you, and he says, Sir, ma'am, why do you think I pulled you over? Now, you're, of course, thinking, do I lie? But as a Christian, I would never lie, so I was going 50 and a 35. Now, you know, and the police officer knows you deserve a ticket, right? And the police officer instead shows you mercy, and he doesn't write you a ticket. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. You deserved a ticket. You didn't get it. And now you don't have to pay a fee and have points against your license. That's mercy. And when Jesus died upon the cross, what he said at that point is, you deserve to die, but you don't have to. You don't have to. That's incredible mercy. You deserve to pay for your sin. You deserve to pay for your past. You deserve to do all of this repayment to me based upon how you live your life. But he's like, I'm not going to do that. That would be good enough for me. But God isn't just a merciful God. God's a graceful God. So, police officer. He says to you, ah, I'm not going to write you a ticket. And then he peers in and he sees that your gas light's on. And he says, you know what, not only am I not going to write you a ticket, I am going to uh, f follow you to the nearest gas station. I'm going to fill up your tank for you. You're thinking to yourself, now wait a minute. I thought I was going to spend all this money on a ticket, points to get my license, then I have to go get gas. Now I don't have to have pay a ticket, I don't have to have points to get my license, and then this police officer wants to give me gas. What does he want from me? <laughs> and he's just, I, I just want to show you kindness. I want to give you what you don't deserve. When Jesus says, you deserve to die, but you don't, that would be good enough. But then you're like, okay, but, but then who will die for me? Who will pay for this? And then Jesus is like, I will. Not only do you have to not die, you can also live. Not only do you not have to pay for your sin and your shame and guilt, I will pay for it. And now because of that, we have a new lease on life. We have a new vision, new purpose, new way of living, new way of giving, a new way of relating to others. And that just happens on this side of the earth. I'm not even talking about what's going to happen for the rest of eternity. Isn't it great that God has given that? Or, or compassion. How God, I remember when I was not a Christian and, and I was just in the lowest part of my life, God could have said, hey, you'll be okay. Could have sent him a text message or an email and then go back to his own life. No, he stepped into my situation and pulled me out. That's compassion. We see that in Jonah. We see that in Jesus 
And we see that in our lives. God has given us so much. The question that I have is, how can we give these things to others? Imagine how your relationships with your spouse or your friends or your coworkers or people you don't even know. What if you let God out of the box and you allowed God to bless other people through you? That instead of just getting angry at when life changes or angry when other people get their way or angry when you don't get what you want but other people get what they want, instead of just getting so selfish, let's live selflessly and give to others what God has given to us. When your spouse may deserve a word or two back to what they said to you, what if you didn't say anything? In fact, what if you said something kind to them? Ooh, that's tough. Paula and I get into it, I was like, let's go. (laughs) Mercy and grace can wait. But when I give it, holy smokes, does it change everything. Oh, it ends the fight. And it actually increases our love. But if I would have held that back from her because the injustice that happened to me or I'm angry about something, you know how that's going to go. The people in your life, your kids or your coworkers or people in your life, they need mercy and grace from you. And you may say, but Eric, they don't deserve it. And I would say that's exactly why you should give it because you didn't deserve it either. And when we live that way, holy smokes, you don't have to live self-absorbed anymore. You don't have to live a miserable life anymore. You get to live a life that is limitless because of that. Mercy. Giving people, I said, mercy, don't giving them what they deserve. Grace, giving them what they don't deserve. And then compassion, not just, hey, heard you're having a bad day. Send them a text message. Send them an email. Tell them everything's going to be okay. No, step into their lives. Help them. Be there for them. Do whatever it takes to show them that you care because God has stepped into your life to show you how much he cares. You know what's so great about the end of Jonah? You know how it ends? We don't know. I love that. Now, there is an epilogue or another conclusion to the book of Jonah we'll look at next week in the book of Matthew. Jesus talks about Jonah. But the story of Jonah, Jesus talks to Jonah, shouldn't I give compassion to this city? And we don't know if Jonah is like, yes, you probably should, or... Honestly, he probably doesn't. He's probably like, no, and he starts whining again and getting angry all over again, probably. But he doesn't, we don't have an end of the story. I don't know why, but let me tell you why I think it's there. Because you and I get to decide how it ends. Not in Jonah's life, but in ours. You can live a life of Jonah, and you can receive from God but not give, or you can give to others what God has given to you. I hope you and I choose that life. It's an incredible life to live. Let's pray together. Father, thank you that you have overwhelmingly blessed us and how often we see that in our lives and how often we don't want to give that to other people because we are so selfish. We're so prideful. We put you in a box. Lord, shatter the box that we've put you in. Help us to show people what you've shown us. Will that be hard? Absolutely. Will it be worth it? Absolutely. God, help us to live the way you lived in Philippians 2. You came as God but gave your life away. 
Help us to do the same. In Jesus' name.